One of Virginia Tech's top football players opts out of the college season because of COVID-19 concerns. The school finally breaks its silence on its safety measures, while UVA continues to have some success inside its Charlottesville bubble. The ACC has a schedule in case there is a football season, while the NCAA passes the buck when it comes to the other fall sports. We'll talk about all that, and we'll be joined by Aaron McFarling of the Roanoke Times this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 16 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and here with me as always is my co-host, the 13-time sports writer of the year, the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, and the man who endured quite a storm here recently, David Teal. David, how are you? I'm well, Mike. Hope you're doing the same. Hanging in there. How was the storm by you and how, how did the homestead handle hold up? We were very fortunate, Mike. We were without power for about 12 hours, but no damage to the homestead, just a few downed tree limbs, and we will be fine. That is good news. Always good to hear. Obviously, we have our thoughts with people who have been really affected. We've seen some pretty uh, frightening pictures from from people who were affected by the storm. And um, just one more thing to kind of hit us right now as, as we go through everything that we're going through here. David, let's jump right into the sports news because uh, as the sports world tries to drag itself back onto the fields, the courts, the ice, we're seeing some very interesting and, and some mixed results. Uh, the NBA, the NHL, they've returned in true isolated bubbles. And David, they're having some success. The, the NHL began its revamped postseason this week. 7,000 COVID tests, more than 7,000 COVID tests, no positives back. The NBA, obviously, they're doing their Orlando bubble, and they've yet to return a positive test. So, David, those are encouraging signs, are they not? Absolutely. And, and Mike, you, you see some encouraging signs also on, on the college end. Uh, Maryland's last 227 tests, all negative. Boston College's last 154, all negative. Notre Dame's last 103, all negative. Pitt, 22 consecutive days, no positives. But then yeah. there's the flip side. <laughs> the, 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 then there's your alma mater, Mike, the big oh. buzz killing all this. Well, let me tell you, off-campus parties at Rutgers were a big deal, man. <laughs> they were a big deal when I was back there. Now, we didn't have COVID to deal with. But, yeah, you're right. R- Rutgers, Louisville today, uh, a, a number of schools ha- have had the opposite. They've had to really halt everything they're doing. And, um, you know, then there's Major League Baseball. You know, America's pastime, they, they passed on the bubble model, you know, where all the athletes, staff and officials, they're essentially quarantined in one place. That's what the NBA has in Orlando. Major League Baseball, they've got their teams out there. They're traveling from game to game. And, and David, it's not going so well. The, the Florida Marlins, the St. Louis Cardinals, they've both had significant outbreaks. The Philadelphia Phillies, they had a couple staff members test positive actually after playing the Marlins. It, it's a lot to digest. What do you make of the success of the bubble versus the failures, let's say, of Major League Baseball? Mike, if Major League Baseball has to shut it down, it's going to be really difficult for Major College football to even try to kick it off because the pros have so many more resources, so much greater access to testing and quick results, and so fewer teams to deal with. I'd, if baseball has to quit and wave the white flag, it may be over before it even starts for major college football. Yeah, the, the travel component is just such an added concern. Um, and again, I, I think you have to give a lot of credit to the NBA, to the NHL, to the organizations, yes. But I'm saying to the athletes and the coaches who seem to be really taking it seriously. They seem to be committed to what they're doing, how they're doing it, um, and they're getting to play. And, and obviously, I'm not saying that every Major League Baseball player isn't, or even that everybody on the Marlins and the Cardinals. But you know, going back a couple of weeks to, to when you talk to the doctor at Wake Forest, it only takes one or two 
kind of outliers or people making a mistake to really blow this whole thing up. And um, it is alarming what you're seeing with Major League Baseball. And, and I think you're right, David. It's a a test case, maybe a test run. If you're a college president or a college AD saying, can I get my team from point A to point B and back and, and play a game in the middle without spreading the virus? Right. And I, I know we'll, we'll, we'll get into the interviews we had with Virginia Tech AD Whit Babcock and Chief Medical Officer Mark Rogers later in the podcast. But I thought it was very interesting, Mike, what Witt said about the football travel, if there is indeed a season where, and, and again, this goes back to the ACC crafting a very regionalized schedule. Babcock believes that the Hokies could bus everywhere. The longest trip they'll have is about 358 miles to Louisville and bus everything. And in most cases, depending on kickoff time, down and back the same day. Well, you know, w- welcome to high school football part two. Yeah, there are, there are Division two and Division three coaches and teams are going, what's new about that? But certainly if you understand the, the Division one, certainly the Power Five uh, model, some of the frills are, are going to go away and, and they're going to be replaced by some sensible, smart travel decisions because it is a huge logistical challenge. And it's one of the interesting things, David, about the ACC put out you know their schedule, who you're going to play home and away, and they haven't put out the dates yet. And you got to think that that's got to be coming soon because the logistics is the challenge here. And to make these schools kind of wait on their logistics, that seems like you're only making it more difficult to get this done. Well, I think what they're waiting on, Mike, is for everyone to try to button up the one non-conference game and get a firm date for that because then they can assign the conference dates. I'd be very surprised if we don't get those specifics next week, early the following week at the absolute latest. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So with all that to digest, the, the struggles of Major League Baseball, the success of the NBA, of the NHL, David, does it all, what you're taking in, the information, does it make you more or less confident that a college football season's possible? I haven't been confident for about a month now, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm not now. In terms of degree, you know, every time, Mike, when – I allow myself to get excited about, you know, when, when the ACC schedule came out, you know, who you're playing and the notion that Notre Dame is going to compete for an ACC championship in football. I mean, that is incredibly unique, unprecedented. I would love to chronicle the 2020 ACC football season. And man, that gets me fired up. And the minute it happens, all you have to do is turn on your laptop or pick up your phone and there's some buzzkill about some program with X number of tests or having to pause workouts or you read in the Times or the Post about the latest numbers nationally and spikes and it just beats you down, man. It's well said. I think we all have that emotional reaction where you want to get caught up in it, the schedule. It does remind me of you and I being in Greensboro at the tournament and kind of oscillating between these heavy stories about cancellation and the virus and no fans and breaking down, you know, UVA Notre Dame as a possible matchup. Uh, It's so easy to get sucked back in because we love it, but uh, it's also important to be realistic. And that brings us to this week's take it or leave it. Thank you, Mike. If we're accepting that bubbles have the best chance at success as a sports model, take it or leave it here, the bubble concept could work for college football, David. Guys, it could work if some sugar daddy gave major college football, oh, a check for what, 100 million or so that it would take to create these bubbles for all these teams and sequester them in hotels and set up the protocols and pay the rent on two or three, maybe five stadiums, one for each of the power conferences. 
But absent that, the bubble concept is absolutely untenable for college football. Mike? Yeah, I think in, in and of itself, the bubble could work. You put the ACC in Charlotte, you put the teams in hotels or, or local schools, or in theory, it could work. It can't work, though, because you would have to admit that the student-athlete model is a fraud, right? If you take these kids away from campus where apparently campuses are going to be open and you do this with them, you're basically saying the athlete part's more important than the student part. We're we're moving you. We're doing all this. We're disrupting everything at a time when, you know, these students are already having their kind of educational lives flipped upside down. If you pull them out and sequester them in, in Charlotte or wherever it is, just to get your games and your practices in, You've thrown out the amateur sports model uh, with your plan, and uh, that's why I've got to leave it. I think that model went out a long time ago, Mike. <laughs> I, I believe you're right. Now, if there is a college football season in 2020, and, and certainly we we still hope there is, uh, Virginia, Tech, Virginia Tech star cornerback Caleb Farley, he won't be a part of it. Farley became pretty much a national headline this week after first opting out of the season citing concerns about the virus, and then penning an essay for Pro Football Talk's website in which he questioned tech safety procedures. Among Farley's concerns, he said players were free to leave campus, leave the school, go home. He said some even went to Myrtle Beach, which we know to be a a corona hotspot, and they returned without being retested. He also questioned the safety of having the full team working out at the team's indoor facility without masks, now, school officials have countered by saying, hey, it's an outdoor facility when you open the doors because of the height and because there isn't the forced air issues. And David, what did you make first of Caleb's essay and of, of the concerns he expressed? Well, first of all, Mike, let's be very clear here and, and you use the precise and accurate words, Caleb's essay. It's not like he was misquoted. It's not like he was blindsided by some reporter asking a a question that he didn't expect. These were his words that he wrote. And yeah, the, 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 the notion that some football players and what he didn't specify and has not specified in his subsequent media tour is how many people does he believe went to Myrtle Beach? And how does he know they weren't tested? Because Mark Rogers told us today that people are tested upon returning and also that there's random testing of groups. So, you know, we don't know the complete truth here. We probably never will, but it was, yeah. If, if, if I picked up the newspaper, my phone and read that, absolutely. I'm alarmed. Yeah. And one of the the good things I thought that came out of that was, I assume came out of that. Maybe it was coming down our way anyway, but today, Virginia tech did make their athletic director available to the media. It did make their uh, director of medical operations available to the media, Dr. Mark Rogers. So today we had the chance to ask some questions. David, before we get into the meat of what they said, how important a step was it that Virginia Tech just said, hey, we get it. We need to answer some questions and put those guys out there today. Oh, I mean, you're asking a reporter (laughs) about access. So of, of course, I, I think it's important. My livelihood depends on access and the creation of content, as does yours. But I believe fans, many fans, not all of them certainly, had the same questions we did. And I think Virginia Tech did those fans a service today by answering questions from us. Yeah, it's well said. And, and, and I thought both gentlemen were, were well-spoken and, and maybe more important. And, and this is what it comes down to so much in media access. I thought they came across as really human, like two guys who really cared about this problem, who wanted to do everything right. Maybe at times are overwhelmed as we all are. And, and so many people are by the circumstances, the rapid changes, but they didn't come off badly today. They came off as two people trying to work hard to do what's right and, and get 
as close to the goal of, of getting things back to quote unquote normal as possible. I thought when Whit Babcock said, I'm going to read a quote here. He said, I'm also a parent of a division one student athlete who I love more than anything in the world. He said, he's referring to his son, who's a player at William and Mary. And I would put him in our protocol any day of the week and sleep very soundly. That's a pretty strong statement. I would think from Whit Babcock. Absolutely. And in people who read that quote, I think will be affected by it. Through the beauty of Zoom, we saw the expression on his face when he said it. And I thought that was maybe not as telling as the words, Mike, but I thought it was pretty telling. I mean, you could see the, the emotion there. And I thought there were times, and this is not a criticism, I thought there were times with both Wit and Dr. Rogers where you could see the stress. I mean, heck, this is a stressful time for everybody. You and I, you know, we're just a couple of keyboard jockeys. We're not making decisions that impact so many young people and their families and and, and parents and, and, and all that. So I wouldn't trade places with those cats in a, for a minute. Yeah, it's well said. I mean, you think about Dr. Rogers and the scope of his job normally, right? Take the pandemic out of it. And he's responsible for the health and well-being of all of these student athletes, of making sure everything that's being done is right and safe and healthy. That is a massive job normally before you even drop in this pandemic. Uh, I can't imagine all that's on his plate. He, he gave us a little bit of a glimpse of some of the meetings he's in. He, he obviously is tech's representative on the ACC's medical advisory board. There's just so much information these guys are trying to gather, decisions these guys are trying to make. And, you know, are they all right? We don't know. We don't know. I mean, think of one of the things that Caleb Farley expressed concern about being, as Caleb wrote in his essay, quote, 100 deep in our indoor facility, no masks. Now, that's alarming when I read it, right? To me, that sounds like, oh my God, what are they doing? Well, to hear Witt and Dr. Rogers explain it, that indoor facility, when those big garage doors, and if you're not familiar with the Beamer Barn, it's a giant, almost airplane hangar-like building that can open up on the outside, uh, lets a lot of fresh air in, it's adjacent to the practice fields. They said they've had the Virginia Department of Health come in and approve that as an outdoor and open air facility where masks aren't required. So, you know, it's, it's hard for us to know. We don't have any kind of medical background, but it sounds like to me that they are being diligent, at least in their decision-making process. I believe they are, Mike. I, I take them at their word. I, I can't imagine any athletic department, and th there are some whose motives are, are, are being questioned, but anyone who doesn't take another young or, or a young person's health and safety seriously, of course they do. And it, go, it goes back to the quote you read from Witt. He's a dad. I mean, Witt was a Division I athlete. His dad was a coach. Now his son is a football player at William & Mary. Of course they care. Well, while we're talking about Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech Athletics, and the news of today's conference calls with, with Witt and Dr. Rogers, we want to bring in our guest this week. He's the columnist from the Roanoke Times, Aaron McFarlane. Aaron, thank you for taking some time out. It's my pleasure, sir. I actually listened to your last episode today. Uh, I was getting caught up. I still think it should be called Mike and the Mad Goat. Uh, that was my suggestion as in greatest of all time with David Teal. He's not really a mad guy, you know, not really a wacky dude, but uh, I think he's uh, certainly the goat. So I'm it's a pleasure to be on. We really should have checked with you. <laughs> you didn't know me in my younger years, Amen. <laughs> well, yes. I, I would have liked to have seen that. Yeah, if we ever do the prequels to this show, that'll have to be the uh, the working title. Now, for people who don't know, in addition to being the columnist, in addition to being a former baseball player himself, uh, Aaron is our resident sports betting expert. And before we jump into the heavy stuff, I really wanted to ask you, starting back in March, 
when the NCAA tournament comes off the board and everything comes off the board, what what did you find to get some action on? Where, where were you laying your wagers? Well, I had to go to ping pong. Uh, <laughs> Ukrainian ping pong was still going. Uh, Russian ping pong was still going. I had never placed a, a ping pong wager in my in my career. It was kind of a low point. <laughs> it's down there with the Little League World Series probably. <laughs> but uh, I am a uh, unabashed uh, action junkie and degenerate. You know, I don't bet a lot of money. I don't put a ton on, on games, but I do bet a lot of games. And I do enjoy the action. I do follow it. It's been quite the evolution since then. I mean, today was – just a smorgasbord of, you know, you had hockey, you had, you had soccer, you had baseballs coming on. Now we got, you know, I'm watching the Orioles pregame as we, as we take this. Uh, So it's, it's kind of a great time to be alive for a gambler now, but certainly back two months ago, it was, it was a sad, sad state of affairs. Now, do you get to watch when you pick one of these obscure sports or or things to find do you get to watch them do you stream them do you not find out if you won or lost till the next day what's what's that experience well there are a lot of great apps out there where you can follow scores for obscure sports like ping pong <laughs> like you can get point by point updates on your ping pong bets which i have to say have never gone well for me they just not very not very good at the ping pong handicapping um but yeah i watch a lot of soccer i love soccer i always bet draws um you know, so I want nothing to happen. If nothing happens, it's a nil thrill. One just went final right now as we're talking. Uh, nil thrill, that's beautiful for me. If somebody scores, then I know who to root for. It's the other team until they equalize, and then we move on from there. But, yeah, I think soccer is probably my second favorite sport to bet behind baseball. And Aaron, football, I, I noticed that last night the Nets were the largest mm. NBA underdog to outright win in more than a decade. Is that right? Did you have a little action on those New Jersey Nets with Joe Harris? I wish, man. I really wish. And I and I heard about that line going into that game, and I just I didn't, didn't get down. I haven't been betting a lot of basketball yet. I'm not averse to betting it, but if there's hockey or baseball, I'm more inclined to, to do that because I enjoy watching those sports more. But, yeah, um, the thing about big money line underdogs like that, I'm a money line better, so I would bet them to win. You know the the spread the the difference between betting on the team that's gonna you know obviously win to win and the and the betting on the underdog is so wide it's such a wide gap it widens the higher uh, the odds are so I think it was only like thirteen to one for the Nets to actually win that game outright which is a great payoff don't get me wrong but the fact that you're you know you're right it hasn't happened in more than a decade I think it was a SuperSonics game against Orlando. Um, in the, I don't know, in 2000 sometime, but, um, it's just not enough. There's not a bang for your buck there for the risk. I don't think, I mean, you just kind of had a 1% chance to win and, and you're not getting 1% kind of odds. Yeah. And for the record, they were playing the bucks, right? Yeah. The bucks. And so, yeah, you had, you had Joe Harris on one side. I guess you don't have Michael Brogdon on the other side anymore, but uh, that was his starting franchise. So some lo- local interest as well. There you go. Now, while there's certainly no debating your your expertise in the area of sports gambling, you're also an expert, of course, in college sports and, and particularly in Virginia Tech. You had a really interesting column that you ran this week, basically calling out Virginia Tech for uh, not being more forthcoming, not being more out there with their information about their testing, their protocols, how they're handling COVID-19. Maybe partially in response to that, today we heard from Whit Babcock, the athletic director at Tech. We heard from Dr. Mark Rogers, their uh, chief medical officer, really answering, I thought, some of the questions that you raised in your column. Aaron, what did you take away from from today's media sessions? Well, that's really all I've been asking for. And and to your point, I, I mean, having listened to your podcast, a lot of what I wrote was exactly what you guys were talking about the last time you guys were together in mid-July. Um, so it's, it's really nothing new. And I, I kind of juxtaposed how Virginia has been handling this to how Virginia Tech has been handling this. I think if everyone were doing it one way where they're not saying anything and they're not releasing anything and then Virginia Tech was just going along with that, it, it would there would be less to criticize. But once you had the Caleb Farley thing happen – it kind of brought to light all the problems that are involved with not having some transparency down there. So I was 
yes, that's all I've really been asking for. I know there's questions they can't answer, and there were some that they passed on today when we asked them. Um, and you know, they said, look, I, that's a question for lawyers or that's a question for somebody above my pay grade or whatever. I get that. Or, or even Witt saying, you know, I don't know the answer to this because this thing's changing every single day. And it is. I mean, there's never been more news coming down the pike uh, in sports than right now. It's crazy. Um, so, uh, but I, I appreciate them coming on and, and, and just trying to, to be as transparent as they could uh, with the information that they have. And I think that's all I've, I really asked for. And I, and I feel like I'm asking not on behalf of us as media members, but on behalf of fans. People might roll their eyes and say, well, I don't want that information. You're not speaking for me. I've heard from a few of those people. But I think there's a lot of people out there who just they just want to know how their football team is doing. You know, they, they care about the football team in October. Why wouldn't they care about it in August? And um, today was a nice first step in, in them getting a little bit more uh, clue in on, on what's going on in Blacksburg. Hey, Mac, you used the phrase uh, above their pay grade. And I, I thought I thought Babcock made a pretty convincing point there where he essentially said this this is a campus decision, meaning the administration and its legal counsel are the ones telling them they can't reveal testing numbers and testing results and saying that once the general student body is back, university president Tim Sands wants to have a daily update online, a, a, a dashboard, I believe was the word Babcock used, that shows what the university's rate on the virus actually is. That's, that's, yeah. a, that's a fan. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Mike. No, I, I think that's a really good point, and it was a really good step. But it's interesting to me that I think people sometimes take it, and, and Aaron, this might be part of what you were speaking to um, in some of the reactions you've gotten. Just because there's a criticism, it doesn't necessarily mean it's of Justin Fuente or it's of Whit Babcock. I think Virginia Tech as a whole, um, whether it's their legal interpretation or whatever it is, have put themselves kind of as an outlier here. We've heard from UVA. We've heard from JMU. We've heard from Old Dominion. I'm interested to hear really from the Commonwealth the Attorney General's office. And, you know, what is the interpretation for the state, for, for Virginia? Um, everybody should be on the same page. This is the only point I was going to make. It'd be nice to see that streamlined for all the state schools. Absolutely. And, and to David's point, I agree agree wholeheartedly with what you said there and that and that softens it for me like things like that matter like when you get understanding because they're coming out and saying this is why we're doing x or this is why we're doing y that's all i've ever asked for and you know maybe some others want more and of course we all want as much as we can get but i'm reminded of you know when virginia tech had all those transfers go from their football program you know and they weren't saying anything and they weren't responding to anything and they weren't talking and they weren't, they weren't standing up for themselves as a program. And so you only got one side of things, right? And then we show up in July for the ACC football kickoff and Justin Fuente says, well, a lot of that stuff got blown out of proportion. Well, you had a chance right there to, 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 to unblow it, you know, to, to take it back into the proportion you thought it deserved to be in. And I'm sorry, that's bad phrasing what I just used there, but um, that is uh <laughs> that that is all I'm asking. Like you, you tell us your side, and then we have all the all the facts we need to write as as balanced an account of what's going on as possible. Yeah, that's a great point. You you can't you can't unblow it to use your terms <laughs> if, if there isn't an open line of communication. And I thought I thought your column did a nice job of kind of making that point. There is so much going on. You mentioned just how much news seems to keep coming at us, but the ACC put out. A schedule, Aaron. They they put out at least a plan. Who's going to play who, home and away, when they're going to start, how the framework is going to be. What did you think of the ACC kind of getting out there and saying, "Here's what we're going to do." Asterisk as of right now, assuming we can do this. Right. There's always that asterisk, and there <laughs> has to be. And and look, but I, I look at it very similarly to the way Bronco Mendenhall has, you know expressed how they were handling things up at, at Red Virginia, where it's, I guess he compared it to a special operations unit, you know, in the military, <laughs> where you always have to be ready just in case you are going to play. Um, and I think, you know, the ACC is feeling the same way about things. Like we can't, 
you know, get to the end of this month. And if for some reason, some miracle, we're able to play this season, I think that's what it would be at this point, a miracle. We don't have a schedule. We don't know who's playing who. Well, then we're stuck. We don't have anything. Uh, I would imagine this is all going to get kicked down the road, uh, you know, at least a couple more months. That that would be my guess. But you got to have a plan in place in case um, something like a season could be played. And, look, we all want it to be played. I mean, it's just – you know, the, the further you dig into this, and the, you know, just listening to Wit today, uh, just talk about all the challenges they're, they're they're up against. We knew about them, but it's just to hear them again expressed by a guy who's got to be under tremendous stress in his position. Uh, it's just it's just not encouraging about about what we're going to have this fall. Yeah, Amac, I I thought both Babcock and Rogers today were very pragmatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've you've got some cheerleaders across the country in various positions talking about capacity crowds in their stadiums, or I guarantee you, one hundred percent, we're going to have a football season. There was none of that happy talk from these guys today, which I was I was glad for. You know, we 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 need a little realism here. Well, they're knee deep in it, right? They're in it. They're looking at it every day. I mean, I think maybe you're talking about some some of these programs, coaches that have said stuff like that too. But I think you know more broadly, you know, there's there's a segment of the fan base who thinks, "What's the big deal? Why can't we just go on with this?" You know, like I'm doing X, Y, and Z myself, so why can't uh, my football team be out there playing? And just to hear those guys, as you said, be very pragmatic and very. Uh, just realistic about where they are and what would have to happen in order for them to get this off the ground, I thought was was a kind of a sobering uh, moment for all of us. So, Aaron, uh, not to be the, the Grim Reaper here, but when do guys like me, you, David, when, when do we start worrying about the college basketball season? Huh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, Berman just talked with Mike Young yesterday about how strange it is to, you know, coach with a mask on and everything. So uh, it's, it is – they are cranking up, and they're trying to get ready for what they hope will be a season two. But, yeah, uh, I don't know, man. You kind of look at the whole Virginia High School League deal and how they moved everything to after Christmas. Uh, there wouldn't be a game played until after Christmas. They, there could be practices before then. But um, And I think that's kind of where we're going to end up with, with, with college uh, stuff, too. I just – it's just so with everything changing every single day and, and things not looking better in terms of case numbers and in terms of, you know, all the all the signs that you wanted to see by this point to feel like you, you were pretty comfortable in going off and doing this. Um, we're just not seeing them now. And when we see them by December, I don't know. I mean, who knows? But um, I think that that's what's going to happen. There's going to be a series of postponements and uh you know, when you postpone football, you'll probably look at basketball too and say, "What are we going to do with that?" And so, yeah, I think I think once we hear for sure what's going on with football, then it's it's time to immediately turn our attention to what's going to happen with basketball. Well, you said, "Who knows?" Let me end uh, on this note with you. We started by talking about sports betting and sports gambling. So, go ahead, give, give me the odds <laughs> that we have college football this fall. Oh man, the odds that we have it this fall. I mean, is greater. Greater favorite. The Bucks were a smaller favorite <laughs> than that. I mean, I, I just and that and that, and that you guys said it too on your most recent podcast. Nobody wants to be Mister Gloom and Doom. I am an optimist by nature. I want to see sports. I want to see football. I want to cover football. I want to get back in there and talk to players and coaches and and do what we all love to do. Um, I just don't see it happening. So. I'd put it at minus five thousand, meaning you have to put five thousand dollars in order to win a hundred uh, on it not being played. Well, I don't have that kind of cash lying around, but he's Aaron McFarling, the columnist from the Roanoke Times. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. All right, enjoy it, boys. Thank you. Thanks, Amac. All right, take care. Well, conversely, UVA has been, I think, decidedly more forthcoming, uh, maybe as forthcoming as any Power 5 school out there, um, at least as forthcoming as they can be in these challenging times with their information about COVID. Uh, their testing results, they've been willing to share those on a fairly regular basis. Their coach, uh, their players have been, I would say, readily available. When you request to talk to somebody, uh, they get it set up. And we've heard from UVA. We've heard from Bronco Mendenhall. We've heard from their players David, do we do we like what we're hearing? 
Well, I think much like we heard from Mark Rogers and Whit Babcock at Tech today, I think Bronco Mendenhall and team physician John McKnight are equally realistic about the near impossibility, I guess that's a fair depiction of it, of what the college athletics enterprise is attempting to do here. And that is stage a fall sports season in the middle of a global pandemic. And I know you talked to Bronco specifically about the ACC schedule. And he's like, I think it's just too early to even be talking about the number of games and such because the news has been so discouraging. I thought that was an interesting take and a refreshing one at that. Yeah, Bronco is nothing if not honest and uh, introspective. Um, He's not shy to share his ideas, even when he knows they might be uh, against the grain. His exact quote, and you're right, it was sort of that that bucket of cold water went, went on your head when, when it seemed like things were looking good. And here we've got this schedule and maybe there's football on the horizon. And he said to me, uh, and I'm quoting him here, it appears to me that the numbers are going up, not down. It appears the crisis is gaining momentum, not losing momentum. It appears we're struggling more, not less. And so the number of games right now, really, that's not very relevant to me. That's a a strong and a smart, insightful quote. Uh, It doesn't give you the warm fuzzies. It doesn't make you think we're going to be in the stadium anytime soon, but I understand where he's coming from. Absolutely, you do. And let's also be clear, Mike. There is a certain segment out there that wants to dismiss the virus's impact on young people because the death rate is so low. To my way of thinking, to, to use the phrase of the day, in my humble opinion, that could not be more short-sighted or shallow because there are so many questions about the long-term impacts of COVID that we don't know the answer to. And that includes young people who contract the virus. And if you think that young people are immune to issues, well, then I would encourage you to read the recent Facebook post from the mother of Indiana offensive lineman Brady Feeney and his experience with the virus. It'll get your attention. Well said. What he's going through is what I think at the end of the day, you have to agree. We don't want athletes to go through this. It's not an acceptable. And, you know, it comes back to sometimes people say, what's the acceptable risk? Well, one, to me, what he's going through right now, that's not an acceptable risk. If I'm a coach, if I'm an AD, I don't expose my student athletes to that possibility. But maybe more importantly, to your point, I think it's it's asinine and dangerous to act like we know what the impact of the virus is, to act like we know what's going to be 10 years down the line, maybe, for somebody who's had this virus. David, I wanted to bring up one other thing on this. I've done a story maybe every year of my career. I, I don't, I'm not exaggerating. Maybe every year of my career, some athlete has found out, oftentimes in terrifying fashion, that they had an underlying health condition. I think most recently to Richard Burney at UVA, um, you know, collapsing on the practice field and finding out his underlying condition, everything he was going through. And imagine now you've got one kid on your team who has this underlying condition he's not aware of. And the way he finds out is by contracting COVID and potentially then losing his life because now he's in undeniably a higher risk category. That's one of the things that I'll be honest, scares the life out of me when I think about how many of these kids don't know they have the enlarged heart or they have a lung issue. They have something that they're not aware of yet. Uh, Are they going to find out because they get COVID and what happens to them then? Well, and not that either of us is a healthcare professional or a doctor, but you've read some discouraging stories about the long-term effects of COVID on those with the sickle cell trait. What segment of the population is most adversely affected by the sickle sickle cell trait? African-Americans. 
what is the largest racial grouping of college football players, African-Americans. So I think that that's just another factor to consider. That's a great point. And again, it's, it's the thing about this that scares me the most. Um, we don't know what we don't know. <laughs> and to be gambling or experimenting or taking chances with young people just because we really love college football – it just, I, it feels, it just feels reckless to me, even with all the work and effort and good intentions uh, that are going into some of these plans. And I don't know, speaking, speaking of those plans, you have to be prepared, right? You have to be ready if things work out. The ACC does have a plan. It's got the 10 plus one model. You're going to play 10 conference games. Then you're going to play one non-conference game that either needs to be held, you know, in your state, um, if it's a home game, it's going to have to be, you know, anybody comes to your stadium or if you play somebody else, it's got to be in state. David, what do you think of the model? What do you think of the plan? Well, having Notre Dame as, as, as part of the league is is great. And not to get too deep into the weeds, Mike, but if you look at the original ACC schedule pre-COVID, There were 58 conference games and 26 non-conference dates that the ACC controlled via television for a total of 84. That's called television industry. If you look at this plan, you will see 15 teams playing 10 conference games each. That's 75 conference games. Take away Notre Dame's five home games that will belong to NBC. That's 70. Add a non-conference home game for everyone except Notre Dame, because again, NBC would control that. You get 70 plus 14 equals 84. The ACC would meet its television inventory. Yeah, I don't think people can overlook how important that is. It's... You know, we're all thinking about the plans and how we get there. But if you're talking about the schedule and putting it together and if it works, what's got to happen, that's number one <laughs> in a lot of books is that television inventory, fulfilling that. And I don't I don't say that lightly. I don't say that in a joking manner because college athletics is hurting financially. College athletics is taking a hit. We heard today from Whit Babcock that he's been pleasantly surprised with season ticket sales, but they're still down. They're, they're down about 4,000 season tickets. Um, we know about some lost revenue you know, last year. Um, th- this is important, and it certainly isn't more important than health. It certainly isn't more important than safety. But if you're going to formulate a plan, and if you're going to play, part of that consideration has to be recouping or, or at least staying afloat financially. Absolutely. And they're, they're going to take a huge hit on ticket revenue. And if games are canceled, they're going to take a similar hit on their TV package. And if there's no college football playoff, there's another huge hit. I mean, college football accounts for about 70 to 75% of all revenue in the enterprise. And you know, that's all you need to know about the importance of of that money because that's that's the sport that funds everything else and while we're talking about money I, I did a story last week about the financial impact for communities and uh, using numbers that were probably what five years old Blacksburg's yeah. Chamber of Commerce Montgomery County's Chamber of Commerce estimated there's about a 70 million dollar impact from Virginia Tech football on that area, the Blacksburg, Christiansburg, Pulaski, really even stretching up to Roanoke, uh, 20 million of direct spending for hotels, restaurants, grocery stores. And again, those numbers have only gone up since that study was commissioned. So everybody will be impacted financially if we can't kick a football off in the fall. Um, But again, as we've covered pretty extensively today, there's a lot of obstacles to that. Yeah, huge hurdles. And we, we can only, I think we can all say, Mike, no matter what your opinion on all this is, that the one thing 
we're all rooting for here is science. Yeah. yeah. Go, go, scientist, find a treatment, find a vaccine, and please let's put this damn thing in our rearview mirror. Well said. I'm going to pull down my New York Yankees lawn flag and put up a vaccine flag because <laughs> uh, it's what we are all rooting for. And uh, you know, one of the last logistical hurdles when you talk about the schedule is those non-conference games. And I mentioned some of the parameters. Um, if you're going to play it at your stadium, it could be anybody. But if you're going to go somewhere, it's got to be in-state. I think the ACC was trying to keep some of the uh, the rivalries, the cross-conference rivalries alive. That that fell apart a little bit when the SEC made their decisions. Um, they've also said that you know non-conference teams that, that you play are going to have to abide by ACC health protocols when it comes to COVID-19. I think that makes a lot of sense. And it brings us to this week's Who You Got. Thanks, Mike. And we're going to throw it right back to you with a question for Who You Got. Now, UVA and Tech haven't announced their specific schedules yet, but both teams need non-conference plus ones for their 11th game. And with all the rules that you guys have been talking about, if you could pick a non-conference opponent for each team, Who You Got? Well, I'm going to take the easy way out and give them both the same opponent. I'd love to see both schools play James Madison. Um, what they've done at JMU with that football program, building it up, uh, the fact that JMU is working, trying to put together an independent schedule to possibly play. The CAA obviously has canceled their games. Um, I'd love to see JMU on both schedules. I think the game would be more competitive than a typical FBS-FCS matchup. Um, and I like the idea of keeping money and keeping the support in-state right? You've got state schools helping each other out. Obviously, JMU and Tech had their meeting and um, we remember how that went the last time and they've got a contracted game in the future. UVA, I I don't remember the last time, David might, that UVA and JMU met up. Um, I'd love to see see that for both teams' schedules. Uh, Maybe I'm biased because I covered JMU for 10 seasons, but throw the Dukes on on both schedules. Okay, David, who you got? Well, I think more realistically, the the answers will be Liberty for Virginia Tech and perhaps VMI, which is already on the schedule for UVA. And again, that would be keeping both games in state. I think what will be interesting about JMU, Mike, is just if it continues down this path where it's trying to – craft an independent schedule for the fall is how many FBS opponents would the Dukes be willing to play? And because they're already on North Carolina's schedule. Now does North Carolina want them for its uh, plus one? Would JMU want to play three ACCs? I don't know. It would, it would certainly be interesting, and I'm curious what you know. We know so much about these games, or are the guarantee games is the money. Um, what kind of money is there going to be on the table for guarantee games when you're not selling tickets? And uh, any idea, David, what that might look like? Well, I think the closer the team is, the the less that guarantee is going to be. And essentially, when Tech signed the deal with Liberty for several games, it's basically a wash that, and I believe the number is 250,000 is Liberty pays Virginia tech 250 when the Hokies go to Lynchburg (laughs) and Virginia tech does the same when the flames come to Blacksburg. Not, not a bad going rate though. Not, not, uh, not a bad day's work, bad day's pay. Hey, David, we spent a lot of time today, obviously, and understandably talking about college football, but there was some NCAA news or, or lack of news. Maybe I don't know how you want to word it uh, on the Olympic sports, the other fall sports. Um, can you walk us through that? What, what did the NCAA essentially say? Because to me, and I haven't had a chance to really deep dive into it. It seems like they passed the buck a little bit here. Well, what they're telling each of the separate divisions, Mike, one, two, and three, is you make your own decisions, which I actually think is best because it, it it's not one size fits all. And if there's been one criticism of the NCAA over the decades, 
It's exactly that. One size doesn't fit all. What suits Alabama does not suit Alabama A&M. And now the NCAA is, is, is giving the respective divisions the freedom to to act independently. And, sub, and, and since that news, Division Three has already decided we're not playing our fall championships. Both Division Two and Division Three leadership decided to cancel all their fall championships. And I think we all know the reason for the disparity there. And it, it starts with an M and it ends with honey. <laughs> There's just so much more at stake. And, and it's part of what you mean when you say one size doesn't fit all. There is more to consider at the Division One level. And um, I think even though we're confident at the end of the day, these decisions are being made for health and safety, it's certainly a factor. It is. But also understand that commissioners and athletic directors aren't making this decision. University presidents and even those above them, state, local health officials, they're going to be the ones eventually that that make the call. Well said. I mean, so much of it may end up coming down to governors and, and what phase are they keeping their states in? We've heard about states that are pausing moving forward. We've heard about states that have considered moving backward in their phases. And uh, we don't know where it's going. We hope it's heading back to football at some point. We certainly miss it. We hope that Major League Baseball can get its act together and, and limp along because I've been enjoying watching the Yankees lineup hit. Um, we're encouraged by the NHL and the NBA. There's so much more going on, so much more now for us to watch uh, and so much more for us to talk about with you. But that's our show for this week. So thank you to Aaron McFarling from the Roanoke Times. And thank you all for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts by finding the RTD Podcast channel. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers and a sports-only option available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy, be safe, and please... Join David and me again in two weeks.